we are small or smaller, but that's all right. I'll try to be a little energetic up here to keep attention and um, get this thing moving. So we're going to be in the book of James this morning. James, uh, we're continuing in chapter 3. Let me open my notes. I think the schedule's been a little unique in that uh, John and James Clifford had to switch, so we kind of went out of order, but we're getting back into order now, picking up in uh, James chapter 3, verse three or 13 through 18. All right, so... Uh, what we'll do is we will uh, read, uh, pray, get into this. Um, so let's read James three thirteen through 18. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. That is, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you for another Sunday morning where we get to look and search your word. God, when we look here, uh, we want to see you. And we really badly need to, need to see you. God, we don't need to see me or my opinions or even our own opinions and thoughts. We want to see You. God, I ask that everyone's heart would want to see You this morning in Your Word. And then when we get a good picture of You, God, would You begin to show us how to live and how to act in light of who You are? Lord, help us be good Bible readers. God, give me words to say. Help us be good listeners. God, thank you uh, really just for who you are and for being so gracious to us and giving us your word to, to look to how to live. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, continuing our study. Uh, what we're going to look at here is uh, the topic is wisdom, you'll see in the passage that we look at. And uh, what James is kind of doing in this section is he just talked about uh, teachers and their tongues and he's... He still has them, I think, in mind, but overall he's, he's talking to the church here. Uh, he says brothers a few times. And he's talking to them about specifically uh, wisdom. And um, he, he's discerning between this uh, 
earthly wisdom, we could, we could call it, and uh, wisdom from above, he says, or godly wisdom. And he's, he's taking the two, he's saying this is godly wisdom, this is earthly wisdom, and he's cutting them down the middle and separating them to show us. And so that's what we're going to kind of try to follow his train of thought this morning and see, okay, what is he talking about and how does this, what does this look like for us in 2000, almost 2019, 2018. Um, and so wisdom's kind of like one of those uh, words that, it's tough to make tangible. Like we can't necessarily put our finger on it. Um, we, we, it's hard to even sometimes define. It's kind of wisdom. It's one of those ethereal. I don't fully. Uh, what is it? Right. Like we can't. De- we can't necessarily define it very well. But we might be able to be like, oh, we can see it. When we see it, we say, oh yeah, that's wisdom, right? And so it, wisdom is kind of one of those strange things uh, in that way. So I'm hoping not to make this message too like out there. Like I want to. It's a big scope, but I want to get tangible with some stuff this morning, and I think James does that. Um, like, uh, when, um, an example is, when I was in high school, uh, I was like 17, 18, and I first started reading the Bible, and I was reading through the book of James, and um, uh, you, you see in chapter 1, verse 5, he says to pray for wisdom, and that if you pray for wisdom, that God will grant it to you. Wow, that's awesome. So, I, I like, I had a, a raw, childlike faith at the time, but I was a little bit ignorant in my biblical theology and in my definitions. And so I would, uh, I would not study very well for tests or a quiz. And what would happen is, is I would cram like 10 minutes right before the quiz. Oh, shoot, we have a quiz today. And just quickly flip in before the teacher comes in. And you're just trying to like talk to your, okay, what, what, what is it? What is it? Trying to figure out, cram for the, the quiz. And then I get the quiz in front of me. And I, All right, God, you say to ask for wisdom, and you'll give me wisdom. So I'm asking, like, I need to know the answers to this. But, like, that's not wisdom, right? Like, just, like, having the answers to a scarlet letter pop in your head during the, the quiz, like, that's not wisdom. That's just, that's just bad theology. That's bad definitions, right? But, like, that's, that was my definition of, of wisdom. It was, like, this idea of knowledge, or I need an answer. And, and it can kind of, has, it has a part in that, but... Um, that's not wisdom. What wisdom would be is to study for your test the night before and not just cram 10 minutes before, right? Wisdom would be to take the time and read the book and not just try to glean from other people and the teachers. Um, and so uh, there's a, there, I think there's a really good story. I just, I'm going to quickly flip to it and read it in First Kings with Solomon. Uh, he was known as the wisest man on the earth, uh, of course, until, until Christ came. But... Um, just listen to this. I think this is a really good picture of wisdom for us to, to get a, to, you know, get a good definition for. So it says, First uh, Kings three sixteen. It's just twelve verses. It says, then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, "Oh my lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house." Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she laid on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at your breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the, but the other woman said, no. The living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. 
The first said, no, the child is yours. The dead child is yours and the living is mine. Thus, they spoke before the king. That's some like law and order stuff right there, right? That's like, oh man, we got a Sherlock Holmes this. How are we going to figure this out? Solomon has wisdom. Listen to what he does here. This is brilliant. The ki- then the king, Solomon, said, the one who says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and mine is the living one. And the king said, bring me a, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means put him to death. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, give the living child to the first woman and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered. And they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. That's wisdom, right? We can, we can define that. Yeah, that's wisdom. Um, and so what I want to do is, we, that's a good, really good picture of it, but I want to uh, try to define it a little bit better. And so I think this is a, um, we'll, we'll try to do some of it from the text too in James, but I think this is a, a good um, overall biblical definition of wisdom, so you're not just going to find it in James, but other places as well, First Corinthians and so on. Um, and so I just put this, uh, is that wisdom is a right perspective of God's glory in the gospel that affects how you act in life circumstances. It's a right perspective, a good idea of what is happening because you have a good understanding of who God is. You have a good understanding of the gospel. And so with that right understanding, you know how to make right choices in day by day, moment by moment life scenarios. Does that make sense? We get that? It's just having the wisdom to, to be able to answer in those moments, be able to live out in those right moments the right way we need to live. So um, I think even too, if you look at verse 13 of James 3, if you go back there, James 3, Verse 13 says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom, right? So even too, it's not just a head knowledge. Like there, there is a works, a, a, a humility of works, a meekness of works that happens. There's good conduct. So it's not just uh, head knowledge, but it's actually, there is action to it as well. And so for us, like... Um, like when I first saw I had this passage, I wasn't really uh, I didn't think like oh this is a big deal wisdom. But the more I keep like studying this, I've just been like wow, we really need wisdom. Like desperately need wisdom. Like you think about how many life circumstances, scenarios you get put into, things get thrown your way, and you have to act. You have to answer to them. Like, as a husband, or as a wife, or as a father, or a mother, and you have to rear your child. Like, how do you do that? You need wisdom to do that. So, like, if you got a kid, and they're acting up, like, what do you do? What are you going to do? Are you going you gonna to spank them this time, or are you going to, I'm going to show grace? I don't know. What do you do? I don't know what to do. 
Like, how do we know what to do? We need wisdom. Is, he gonna, is, he gonna, is the kid going to get grace this time? Nope. Catching a whip, going back to bed. Or maybe it was time out for your kid. I didn't necessarily get that, but I got the, the belt. Um, but, right? <laughs> but, like, what, what, what do you do, right? Uh, as, as, uh, let's say you're a parent and you're disagreeing with, with your husband or wife on how to discipline. Now, not only do you have to figure out, man, what wisdom do I do with, with trying to discipline the kid, but now my wife disagrees with me. How do I handle her now? And, like, there's so many. This is just one little area of life I'm talking about. There's so many scenarios to so many different parts of life. We need wisdom, like, really badly. So I'm saying it's the moment by moment, day by day perspective of how I react, how I act, how I live. Um, and, and, you know, too, like, we might put zero effort into something that's really important and a lot of effort into something that's not that important. Because, like, the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us, like, oh, yeah, read this much of your Bible every day or pray this many minutes or go evangelizing for this many times a month. Like, it doesn't tell us that. So how are you going to live effectively? You need wisdom. You need God-glorifying, gospel-centered wisdom, gospel-fashioned wisdom to help you handle life. We need it badly. And so um, what's really good is that James here, we're going to see in these verses, is that he kind of discerns earthly wisdom and what to stay away from and, and godly wisdom and what to move towards. So if you look at verses uh, 14 through 16, this is the negative. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, remember those two words, bitter jealousy, jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And so, um, I, I just try to, I don't want to oversimplify this, but I think this a lot of times plays itself out for us in uh, two different ways. This jealousy and selfish ambition, really those two things are very, very similar um, and, and play themselves out in the same way. Um, but that's, that jealousy, like you're, you want something that someone else has, or you want to be in that position that they have. Or selfish ambition, you're trying to climb that ladder. And I think that those two things kind of play themselves out in uh, two, two simple ways. There may be other areas as well, but um, we see that selfish ambition and jealousy can play itself out in the church, where uh, you are trying to climb the Christian ladder and be that super spiritual, I got it all together type person. Or... In the world, we see this as well, where selfish ambition and jealousy plays itself out. In the world, where you try to climb the I want to be liked ladder. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. I'm in. I know my peers. Like, yeah, we're good. And what happens is, while climbing that ladder of you trying to fit in, is that you become ashamed of your faith in front of those who don't know the gospel. You sell out. You become a hypocrite. And so those are really like the two areas that I kind of want to examine this morning. But in both of these areas, in the church or in the world, both of them, selfish ambition and jealousy, play themselves out and manifest themselves in the same way. 
I was looking at um, a verse in Proverbs. I think this is a really, really uh, helpful, helpful verse for us to see. Proverbs 29.25 says this. It says, the fear, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. So like the fear of man, the I want to be approved. I want to be accepted. I want to be applauded. I want them to like me. That fear of man, the Bible is saying, it's, it's, it's a trap. That's a trap. It's setting you up to catch you. It's a snare. The I want to be liked, I want to be praised, will actually not set you free. It'll make you a slave to them. It'll make you a slave to man. And what they, what they think of you now becomes more important than what God thinks. Their opinion is now most important to you. You will soon become a sellout to the praises of man if you allow jealousy and selfish ambition to remain in your heart. You will live for their acceptance and then die from their rejection It's, it's it, like when you think about it, right? If you if you are living for someone else's approval, a man's approval, like you you will do stuff to to make them like you, and you just keep doing that and doing that and doing that, and now like you're not actually you're not even living your life. You're not living. You're allowing them to live through you. You're letting them dictate you, and what happens is you lose your spine. Like you have no spine anymore because you're just a sellout. I think uh, so in the church, just one of the ways it, it plays itself out in the Christian world is that uh, really like selfish ambition and jealousy, we see that in the Pharisees a lot. And that's what happens to us if we, if we, if we allow these sins to, to rule and reign in us. So we become so pharisaical that I got it all together. I don't have any problems. We try to become a Christian Superman. Everything is great. No problems here. Put a smile on at church. Let me Jesus juke all my friends. We love the Lord. Oh, and for those of you who don't know what Jesus juking is, like if um, if uh, you know Tyler and I, if I say, hey Tyler, who's uh, like who's your man crush, right? Who, who's like this guy that you think is the man? And he were to be like, oh well, Jesus. They're like, dude, come on. No, it's Tom Brady. Everyone knows that. Like, Jesus wasn't even that good looking. It's the, that's what a Jesus juke is, right? So it's just this, like, oh, I'm so spiritual. Look at me. I always am about Christ, and that's all I think about, and I have no problems. I got it all together. And it's just, it's a veneer. It's a facade. Like, we're putting a filter on our lives, and we're not honest and open. It's, it's, that's the word hypocrite, right? The word hypocrite means to, to put on a mask. Like you're not actually showing and revealing who you actually are. You're just hiding because you think you have to be some super spiritual person. And that's garbage. That's not what Christ called us to. Christ didn't go to the cross to say that you now have to become something. No, he went to the cross because he said you're nothing, but I'm going to make you a child. I'm going to accept you in. And then in the church... It can oftentimes look like uh, those jugglers, you know, who um, 
no, I don't know if they're jugglers, but th- those plate spinners, right? They take the long stick and they put the plate on the top and they spin it. And they set it down and they do another one and they spin it and they set it down and they do another one, another one. Next thing you know, they got like five plates up there and they're just running back and forth, plate to plate, plate to plate, just to keep them spinning, just to keep them spinning. And that's what we find ourselves in with the Christian life, trying to be something that we're not. Just got to keep that plate spinning. Got to keep that plate spinning. God, they break. You won't keep it up. Those plates will fall and break because you're not that awesome. <laughs> like, you're not. You're just average. I'm just average, and that's okay. Like, that's a good thing, right? So just breathe. Like, we're average. And by the grace of God, He saved us. I don't have to, I don't have to spin plates. I don't have to try to keep this thing going. I can just be honest with people. I can be open. I can say, I need help. I need prayer. I think that's wisdom. But then also, in, uh, so that's in the church, but in the world, living for man's approval and becoming a sellout, um, oh, we so badly want to be liked by others that we become hypocrites. We just want to fit in. And I, like I've... Man, I've felt that before. I own a, a leather company, and we make leather Bibles. So, like, when I go to the town hall or to uh, the post office or around town, and someone says, oh, well, so what do, what do you do? And I say, I own a, a leather company, and we make Bibles. The reaction is, oh, 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 uh, i got to get back to my thing over here. It's, that's nice, right? And so that whole, oh, shoot, you're talking about the Bible? Like, no, thank you. I don't want that. I'm out. And so then what my mind, my subconscious can begin to do is think, oh, okay, they don't like that, so they reject me. So maybe next time I'll just say, I just own a leather company. And I'll leave that Bible part out, and I won't, like, get into the gospel. With, I won't get into it with them. Right? Like, I feel that pull. Where we, we don't want to be that type of person that's making everyone feel awkward. Like, to be honest, like, we just want to be liked. Right? You just want to be liked. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, no one wants to be that, like, super over-spiritual out in the world, like, goofball who's on the news all the time. Like, you don't want to be that guy. Like, someone's, someone's got allergies and you're like, you got some oil to put. Come here, come here. I'm going to pray over you. Like, you don't want to be that guy. We want to be liked. We don't want to be marginalized or labeled as these clowns. There's a draw to have people like us. And listen, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, right? Unless it makes you sell out. Unless it makes you give up your faith in that moment. Unless you become ashamed of the gospel, trying to give Jesus a makeover, trying to make him a little more palatable for people to swallow. Jealousy, selfish ambition, they lead us to fear of man in the church, in the world. It's all a trap. It's just bad perspective to think like that. So, like, to put it uh, this way, hopefully this will help you see even more, um, it would be 
It'd be weird to be terrified of a kitten, to be terrified of a kitten and have no fear of a lion. That makes you a fool. To see a kitten, say, ah, don't kill me. But then to see a lion and walk right up to it, slap it in the face, that makes you a fool. Right? That makes you a fool. So for me even, too, right, to be up here and preach, and everyone else who preaches up here, to be up here and think, oh, what did they think of my message? What did they think of what I said? Did they like it? Did they like what I said? Do they like me? I'm a fool. Or to, to go to work and to, to try to fit in with your coworkers and, and just throw the gospel aside. You're a fool. Or to go to your kids' games and sit there and, and care too much about what the parents think of you because you're a Christian. You're a fool. You wouldn't be terrified of the kitten, but walk up to a lion and slap it in the face. It's foolish. We all have been fools before, haven't we? We've all sold out in some way, in one moment or another. We've cared too much about people's acceptance of us. And when we do that, having others' acceptance becomes more important than pleasing God. That desire to be liked, that good desire to be liked has not gone too far. And it shows who your God really is. It shows who you're serving. And I said it before, this is so, this is like Pharisee 101. I mean, these guys had so much jealousy for one another. They had this selfish ambition to climb their ladder in the Sanhedrin, become the best of the best, the smartest, the wisest they want. They wanted the praises of man so bad. Listen to, listen to this verse in um, John 12. John 12, 42-43 says this. He says, it says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in Him. That's, that's talking about the Pharisees, authorities believing in Jesus, right? Many of the authorities believed in Him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that, they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's so sad. They allowed these people to dictate how they lived. They cared more about man's praise than God's. More about man's applaud and approval than God's. I mean, that's, like, that's not just sad. That's embarrassing, right? Like that's junior high ethics. You gotta be the cool kid at the skating rink. You gotta be the cool person at, at this event or that at party. Like that's how lame is that? You gotta be cool. That's junior that's junior high. And the good news is that the gospel can free us from this. The gospel frees them from this because we're all prone to fall into selfish ambition. Like, we just, we love ourselves. And we're prone to just fall into that jealousy, me, 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 me. That Terrell Owens line, I love me some me. Like, we so easily can fall into that. And the gospel is what sets us free from this sin in both areas, in the world and in the church. Because the gospel frees us up to care more about what God thinks of us over man's applause for us. The gospel frees us up in knowing that we don't need man's approval because we already have God's. We don't 
need man's approval because Christ has already approved us in the gospel. You are approved. God has justified you, made you a child. You don't need man's approval. I mean, it's not just us that struggle with this. This is like the book of Galatians with Peter in Acts 15. He so badly just cared about what the other Jews thought of him and he pulled away from Gentile tables. Like, apostles dealt with this. I know we deal with this. And the Gospel can free us from it. And, um, you know, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Uh, If you look at these verses too, verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But then look at what he calls it. So it's not godly. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. And so like we we can understand the earthly. Yep, I understand like it's it's worldly or it's unspiritual. I get that, but but demonic, really? Like is it really like demon influenced? Like what is what does that mean? I think there's a great illustration of this in Ananias and Sapphira's life. We don't have time to go there, but Ananias he sells a bunch of land to try and look good in front of the church. Look at what I did. I sold all my land and gave up the money. But he held some of it back. And you know what Peter says to Ananias? He says, Ananias, first he says, why are you lying? But then he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Right? It's demonic. He had that selfish ambition, that jealousy to want to be liked and approved and looked at as someone high in the church. But Satan filled his heart. And so really, this is, this is what it leads to. It's not just like, oh, okay, like, it'll be bad. No, no. Like worldly. You know what worldliness is? Worldliness is anything that makes sin look normal and righteousness look abnormal. That's worldliness. Anything that makes sin look really normal but righteousness look abnormal. Unspiritual, demonic. And then verse 16, this is, like it gets bad, like right? Selfish ambition and jealousy, it's fruit. Like, we can see it lead to webs of lies, backstabbing of friends, blackmail, greed, adultery, murder. Like, that's where it goes. It it leads you there. You think, oh, that'll never happen to me. Don't test it. Don't trust yourself to think that your flesh won't bring you there. This is where it leads. And if you... Think I'm like being one of those, oh, you're just over-exaggerating preacher type of guy up there with selfish... No, verse 16, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It has no end. Disorder and every vile practice. Those are just like the beginning of the sins. And what their fruit that it breeds is so bad. But wisdom from above, that's earthly wisdom, but wisdom from above is so different. And that's what James is doing here. He's contrasting the two between earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. Verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. 
But I think it's, it's good to, to look at and say, okay, where does wisdom come from? It comes from above, right? It's, it's godly wisdom. It's not from us. It's not from our opinions, or even necessarily just our life experience, but it's from above. It's from God. He gives it to us. And like you think about how gracious that is, right? You think about how gracious that is, that James 1.5, God will give you wisdom to those who ask. He'll grant it to you. And that he's going to give this wisdom from above to us? Think about how gracious that is. Like, we have failed God. We failed God. We rebelled against God. We cheated on God. We turned our backs on him. And we find ourselves in a variety of different problems from our sin and different problems and scenarios from other people's sin in a, in a sinful world. And God not only pulls us up out of that and cleans us, not only does He forgive us, cleanse us, justify us, but then He says, I'm going to give you wisdom on how to live now. I'm going to give you my spirit on how to walk this thing out in a broken world. In a broken world. I'm going to give you wisdom. Like That's, that's gracious. Like It was merciful that He forgave us, but now it's Gracious that He gives us wisdom to live and walk this thing out. God gives us more than we deserve. In fact, the Bible even says that we have all things pertaining to life and godliness. I think that's 1 Peter 1. We've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. I don't have time to go through all of these here. He talks about how wisdom is first pure, and then peaceable, it's gentle and open to reason. It's full of mercy. Like if we were just to take one of those, right? We just let's just take full of mercy. Full of mercy. So with wisdom being full of mercy, we're talking about wisdom is that again, it's that perspective to act rightly in life scenarios. So, when we see people over in the Middle East doing wicked, wicked things to each other and wicked things to Westerners or other people in the world, and we think, God, man, can't we just like send someone over there? Can we just nuke them? Can we just wipe them out? Like the people are savages. Let's just wipe them all out. Just take care of business. Can't we just like send some Navy SEAL team over there and take care of business? Like get stuff done. We want justice, right? We want justice. But put yourself in that scenario. If that was me. No, no, not for me. I don't want justice for myself. I want mercy. I want mercy. So, like we, when we look at that, right? And, and then even too, like, Refugees coming into our country. Like we can so easily buy into American world cultural views and just think, yeah, we don't no, get those refugees out of here. They're gonna ruin our country. But, you know, build a wall. Build a wall. We don't want those people in here. Get them out of here. Get them out of here. We don't feel safe. Those people are savages. We don't want them here. Do you see how much we've bought into that stupid, foolish lie? Those are people. We are a people who are trying to get People say from every culture, tongue, ethnicity, language. 
for the glory of God for all of eternity. We are trying to get them. And they're coming to us. And we're pushing them out. Like, they're your neighbors. They're your co-workers. They're in your lives all around you. Like, if you, if you live in North Brantford, just get over to New Haven. It's ten minutes away. You'll see it. Look, we have refugees from Somalia. We have refugees from Yemen and Nepal. Like, people who have never heard the gospel. And we talk about, oh, we've got to send people out here. We've got to send people to go get those people. Listen, like, they're coming to us. We need to show mercy. Wisdom is full of mercy. Like, so when I hear, like, that we have Syrians coming into our country, into JFK, I get excited. Like, they're here. I don't have to cross the sea right now. They're right here. I'm just going to cross the road. I'm just going to cross the Q Bridge. Like, let's get some wisdom that's full of mercy and says, I want to love these people. I need to share the gospel with them. Not one that's afraid of them and tries to kick them out. Wisdom is full of mercy. And our earthly wisdom is robbing us from this. It's robbing us from joy that we can find in obedience to God with spending time with these people, sharing the gospel with them. It's robbing us of the kingdom and it advancing and us being a part of it. Like it's robbing our whole, like what are you here for? And it's just undercutting all of it. This wisdom on this earth. This Americanness, This patriotism. I'm not saying I'm against America. I'm not even, I don't even want to get into politics at all or, or talk about who to vote for next or what's right and what's wrong. I'm just saying, like you put a biblical lens on refugees. You'll be inviting them into your homes. You put a biblical worldview on unreached peoples coming into your town, like you'll start wanting to play Monopoly with them and get to know them and have dinner with them. How can I help? How can I be a part of this? Not, I don't want to talk about politics. I just want to talk about wisdom that's full of mercy. There's, um, I was just told that there's a, a woman... She uh, she worked with Ethnos 360. Her name is Nikki Schwartz, um, and she has wanted to go to another unreached people group in a different country. And, um, really hasn't had the opportunity, or nothing's opened up for her. Um, so she's worked for Ethnos 360 for I don't know how long she worked. She worked there, but she was she's been involved for a number of years there, and uh, she's been doing her research. And she found uh, there's this town in Clarkston, Georgia. It's like a nobody town. And it has, literally, has 90, 90 unreached people groups there. Like refugees. It's the largest town for refugees in America. Clarkston, Georgia. <laughs> Who would have thought? And she's moving there. She lives in, I think, uh, Wisconsin somewhere right now. And she's, she's actually moving there. Because she wants to get involved. She wants to see Christ's name proclaimed among the nations. She wants to figure out, hey, how do we engage people from Nepal better? Let me move 
to Georgia and figure it out. And I'm going to help people so that when they go over to Nepal, they have better understanding too. And we're going to save some from every tribe, tongue, and nation in Clarkston, Georgia. That's a biblical lens on this. That's a lens, that's a wisdom that's full of mercy, right? That's what we want in life. And there, like I said, we need wisdom for so many different areas of life. And I'm touching just the surface of some of them. But let's finish with this. Let's just, I just want to show you who Christ is in, this, in verse 17. I think it's a beautiful picture of Jesus. We know that Jesus was the wisdom of God. But I just want to quickly run through these and see Christ if we can. It says, But the wisdom from above is first pure. Purity is talking about um, a devotion, a, a holiness, a, a single... I have one aim in life. Nothing else is tainting it. We see that in Christ in John 17. I and the Father are one. There's nothing I do apart from the Father. He was fully devoted. He was pure, peaceable. The cross. Jesus on the cross has brought us peace. Broke down every wall of hostility. He's brought peace vertically with God and horizontally with each other. Christ has brought peace. Wisdom from above is also gentle. This is uh, one of the most, convic- most convicting for me. It's not doesn't act quick. It's not doesn't be brash and just act out, but it's gentle. And you see Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4. And I know sometimes we think like, oh yeah, well, he really went at it, right? He said, oh, you have five husbands. No, Jesus wasn't going at her. He was getting to a vulnerable spot and pulling out and saying, I can, I can fix this. I'll be gentle with this. Like, I know this is a vulnerable place for you. I'll help you with it. Christ is gentle. It's open to reason. And we constantly hear and see this in the Gospels with Jesus, listening to those who had problems with Him, talking with them. Like, even... even uh, the, the, the coin, right? Where the Pharisees try to come up against him and say, hey Jesus, alright, who do you pay taxes to then? If you're not for Caesar, who's on the coin? Checkmate. <laughs> right? But he, he was open to reason. He was open to talk things out and work with people and listen to them. Yeah, he may have he had the answer, but he was open to those. It's full of mercy, as we saw. It's sincere, impartial, good fruits, and harvest of peace is sown in peace by those who make peace. Harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, brothers and sisters, let's, I guess this is just the last quick call to action. How do we get wisdom? Well, it comes from above, but we're going to see it right here in our Bibles. Like, we need to dig deep to get a good understanding of, of wisdom, Not like me when I was in high school thinking I could just cram and ask for it and just get answers like pop into my head. No, we need to dig deep, study hard, read our Bibles, see who God is. James 1.5, we need to pray for wisdom, ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to these things, to see how to live out. Because we, like, like I said, like how do you, what do you do? I need wisdom. And so God has been gracious to us. And he's going to give us wisdom. 
He's going to work through us working hard. So uh, let's pray and then get out of here. God, thank You so much for how much You've shown mercy to us, how much You've loved us. But God, being rich in mercy with His great love for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. God, thank You that You are rich in mercy. Would You make us more like Your Son? God, I ask that You would make us a church that we can be really, really wise because we know our God really, really well. Lord, we ask these things in Your Son's name, Jesus. Amen.